Welcome to the Christianity 101 podcast, where we examine big ideas in Christianity from the perspective of those who aren't quite sure what they believe. Welcome back. I am joining you today on a rainy Tuesday afternoon. It is hailing outside right now, so if you catch any feedback, that's what's going on there. But I am back here to talk a little bit more. We are in our second episode of the Christianity 101 series. Really glad to be with you today. Excited to get to our lesson. We opened our series last week called Christianity 101, examining some of the foundational reasons why we Christians believe that the Bible is true, God's word, and accurate. We talked about the place of faith within various worldviews. We talked about some of the uniqueness of Scripture's composition and some of the historical archaeological reasons why we Christians feel like our faith is not unreasonable, but a reasonable conclusion based on the evidence. This week, we're going to look at the main point of the Bible, which is the gospel. Um, We're going to examine it, kind of ask a couple questions about what the gospel is and why it matters. Really excited to get into today's lesson. Uh, But before we hop into that lesson, I just wanted to mention that in your various podcast feedback, if you're listening on Spotify or iTunes or or just on SoundCloud, there is the ability to comment, rate, and review. Uh, If you have any questions that you'd like for us to deal with in the Christianity 101 series, our programming is kind of set for the next few weeks as we outline the gospel and then we work through some of the big parts of scripture. But after that, we would love to continue this podcast and just kind of answer certain questions that come up that you may have about Christianity. They won't all be massive episodes. We can do little vignettes and things like that. You can talk about simple things like who were the Pharisees, who were the Sadducees, who were the Essenes, some of those biblical questions. We can talk about the various denominations in Christianity, or really we can take this and pivot it however you want. We just want to be a resource of this podcast to help answer your questions about Christianity. Drop us a line. We really want to hear from you, want to encourage your participation in the show. And outside of that, I hope you enjoy today's show. So imagine with me for a moment that last week's conversation with your skeptical friend about the Bible didn't totally alienate your friend. They didn't, they came back for round two. You didn't totally lose them. You've got a good history with your friend and a rapport built up so that you can continue talking about deeper type things. And your friend responds to your talking about the Bible and says, all right, I'll concede that your belief in scripture is not totally irrational. I see where you're coming from. But that book, the Bible, is over a thousand pages long with two columns per page. What is it about? What is the central message of the Bible? You pause for a moment, think about it, and then come right out and say it. Well, that's obviously the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news. You probably feel pretty proud of yourself for nailing this question. But what if your friend responded, I have heard that word before, but I have no idea what it means. What is the good news? Why is it good? And more importantly, why does it matter? Isn't that just some plithy thing that Christians talk about? What's going on there? If you say it's the main point, what does it mean? Your friend's question is helpfully the subject of our lesson for today. 
we want to talk about what is the gospel and why it matters. You see, the gospel is the solution to the greatest problem that humanity faces. But this is Christianity 101. We're trying to start from the beginning and not assume anything. So we can't assume that you, my dear listener, actually believe that humanity faces a problem. Christians most certainly claim that the world is not as it should be, that we have a problem. And of all the claims that Christians make about the nature of reality, I think that this one is the easiest for us to defend. Very few people in the world would claim that the world is exactly as it should be. There are different systems of thought and different people who characterize the problem in different ways, but ultimately I think there are very few people who think that the world is just fine as it is. Marxists, for instance, believe that the big problem in the world is the privileged classes' oppression of the working classes. If you think about classical liberals, who guys who wrote the Constitution kind of people, they rage against the tyranny of the powerful. They crusade for constitutional governance, governments to keep the forces of tyranny in check. If you go to the East and look at Buddhists, they wrestle with the problem of suffering in the world. They counsel serenity and indifference, learn how to let go and uh, not let go and let God, but let go and stop caring, essentially. Uh, they think that's the antidote to dealing with the problem of pain in the world. And secular humanists believe that the chief problem in the world is ignorance, and that education is the great savior of humankind. Different groups focus on different problems, but all groups, I think, would agree that something is not quite right. You might call this the human condition. Christians also believe that there's a problem with the world. We Christians believe that the chief problem facing all of humanity is alienation and separation from God. This is characterized by that very first story that we're going to talk a lot about in our episode, Why the Fall, of Adam and Eve being thrown out of the Garden of Eden, the place where the presence of God rested during that point in history. We Christians believe that the primary need of every human being before food, water, or anything on uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, that the primary need of humans is a relationship with God. That relationship was lost because we humans as a species chose to disobey the God who made us and loved us and gave, every, gave us everything that we needed to live. God, when he originally created us, wanted us to be in relationship with him, but in, all he needed was us to you know, trust him and obey his will. And instead of doing that, we chose not to. Collectively, as a species, all of us chose to be selfish. And our choice to do that messed up the entire world and put us humans in some serious danger. You see, we Christians believe that God is absolutely perfect in every single way. And what that means is that God stands firmly opposed to all evil. Every single human being has evil in their heart. You do, I do, all of us do. Rather than living the way that we know we should, we choose to be selfish, greedy, and a whole bunch of other stuff that we'd prefer not to admit publicly. We're just not awesome when you really take a look at it. And, and we console ourselves by saying things like, nobody's perfect, which is true, nobody is perfect, if you're talking about humans. But what if that statement wasn't totally correct? What if we came into contact with a being that is absolutely perfect in every way. And worse, what if that being hated evil and stood opposed to it? All selfishness, all greed, all wrong. 
And what if that being was all-powerful and the judge of the universe? Would we pass that being's judgment? If we were judged, not even on an, uh, a standard of right and wrong that was outside of ourselves, but let's just say that you put a tape recorder around your neck, and at the end of your life, you would only be judged according to the standards that you judged other people. So if you just rage in your car about someone cutting you off in traffic, and that was the only judgment that you had to pass, was I never cut anyone off in traffic. Have you ever done it? Once or twice? And if you expanded that out, oh, I can't stand people who talk behind other people's back. Have you ever talked behind someone's back? If we're being honest, and I'm not just talking to you guys, me as well, all of us can't even live up to the standards that we judge other people by. We would not pass our own judgment, let alone the standards of a perfect God that hates evil. And we are in danger because that's the God that exists. Fortunately for us, that God is also, by nature, infinitely loving. God loves us so much more than our deeds deserve or, or anything that we could ever want or hope for. When humanity went astray, God did not treat with us as our evil deeds deserved. He started plotting a plan to win us back. We need to be in the presence of God, in relationship with God. But that relationship would destroy us because of our sin. This is the problem that is made very evident in the Old Testament through God's relationship with Israel. In the first five books of the Bible, you see this constant cycle. God's action is the only reason that Israel exists. They are desperate for the presence of God. And God is with them in a pillar of cloud and then the tabernacle. But because God is with them, whenever they sin, there's disastrous consequences. They couldn't exist without God. Yet being with God is so dangerous to their health. This is the pattern that is followed and repeated throughout the entire Old Testament. And the solution is Jesus Christ in the Gospels. So how did he do this? What happened? Let's talk about that for a second. The Gospel accounts begin with God making himself a baby. Jesus. Not God made himself a baby like God needed a baby so he made himself one. God made God's self. God made himself a baby. God became a baby. Jesus grew up and lived the life that all people were supposed to live, a life of perfection, of total submission to God. He loved God and loved his neighbor perfectly. But instead of being loved for the perfect person that he was, he was rejected. He deserved to be crowned, but he was killed. But we also have to remember that Jesus was God. No one forced death upon him. He chose this road of suffering for a reason. Jesus lived the life that we were supposed to live and he chose to die the death that we deserve to die. And then something crazy happened. Jesus' perfect life and his sacrificial death reversed the curse of sin. The curse that we unleashed when we chose to live our way rather than God's. Because Jesus did this, he made a way for all of us who admit our fault and confess Jesus as Lord, made a way for us to come back into relationship with God. That's about as decent a summary as they come. It's sort of a gospel in a paragraph. And your immediate response might be, why do you believe this is true? Which is a really good question. And the answer that all Christians have given for the last 2,000 years is one of witness. There were people who saw him rise from the dead, confirming that he was from God and what he said was true. If you're curious about the various apologetic reasons why Christians believe that 
the witness to Jesus's resurrection is true, I recommend checking out a book called A Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. He really goes in with a kind of a detective hat on and really tries to answer that question of did Jesus rise from the dead. He does a great job. It's really well presented, um, but that's a good resource for that particular topic. But for the rest of this lesson, I just want to make a few key observations about the gospel and its implications, namely how it sets Christianity apart from other systems of thought in the world. First of all, the gospel is news. The first insane thing about the gospel that makes it so different from every other religion in the world or system of thought is that it is news. The gospel is the announcement of a historical event. All of Christianity rests upon one singular historical question. Did Jesus of Nazareth rise from the dead? 1 Corinthians, one of the earlier letters written in the New Testament, says this. This is the Apostle Paul talking, quote, If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is useless, and so is your faith, end quote. If, Christ, if Jesus Christ was not miraculously raised from the dead after his, Christi, after his crucifixion, Christianity has absolutely no value at all. If you are a skeptical person and you've happened upon this podcast and you're seeking to figure out if Christianity has anything to offer you, the question that you must account for is the question of Jesus's resurrection. There's a real temptation to take a piecemeal approach to Christianity, taking some of the things that we like while not fully accepting Jesus as Lord. Let's just say that that you're looking for a moral system that's going to help you overcome some of your anxiety, or you look at it as some good teachings that might help out your kids, but you're not quite sure about all that miraculous stuff. That way of thinking fails to adequately deal with the claims that the Bible itself makes, the claims that Jesus of Nazareth makes. He didn't claim to be a teacher. He claimed to be the Lord of the universe. The gospel makes Christianity an all-or-nothing endeavor. Most people don't want to just outright reject everything Christianity has to offer. They want to appreciate some aspects of it, but maintain their own autonomy as Lord of their life. This relegates Jesus from Lord of the universe to a good moral teacher or someone who practiced love or a good man, a position that's untenable for anyone who's read the Gospels. The gospel is not a nice moral system or a cultural practice that gives people hope. The gospel is the announcement of an event in history. If this truth claim is false, all of it is false and none of it matters. It is absolutely devoid of value. C.S. Lewis, a legendary Christian author who wrote in the mid-20th century, said it like this, quote, if Christianity is false, it is of no importance, and if it is true, it is of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. And C.S. Lewis is absolutely right. We Christians base our entire faith, our entire existence, our entire future and eternity and hope on the fact that Jesus is not in the grave. Our salvation as Christians is based totally and completely on this historical truth claim not any action or anything that we do on our part. And this is significant. It sets Christianity apart from every other system of thought in the world. Every system of thought offers some sort of salvation, some way to overcome the problem of human existence. In every system that is not Christianity, salvation 
quote unquote, however you want to salvation, enlightenment, nirvana, it, it is one through the teachings of the system. Marxists achieve salvation through the revolution of the proletariat and embrace of the communist ideal. When the proletariat finally rose up and knocked out all the bourgeois uh, owners of the means of production and whatnot, and then after the people rose up and took power, they would rest in the communist ideal of everyone working and getting equal value. Uh, that would be um, salvation. It would be the end of history. It would, everything would be as it should be. The classic liberals achieve salvation through the guarantee of individual liberties and protection uh, through the protection of people's self-determination through a constitution. So if you got your constitution as your government and the people had their individual liberties and protections, then the classic liberal says that, yes, things are good. The Buddhist reaches nirvana, which is their salvation, by following the teachings and practices of the Buddha that is recorded in the sutras. And Muslims are saved by following the teachings of Muhammad and practicing the five pillars of Islam. In Christianity, salvation is achieved in a radically different way. You're not saved by following the apostles' teachings. You're not even saved by following Jesus' teachings in the gospel. For Christians, salvation came through the historical event of Jesus' crucifixion. We were saved not by anything that we did, but because Jesus died as a willing sacrifice on the cross. We are saved by free and unmerited grace. In some ways, this is the least attractive feature of Christianity. There's something noble and heroic and, and satisfying about achieving salvation through one's effort. There's a reason why in our culture you see that archetype of the self-made man picking himself up by his bootstraps. Nobody gave me nothing. I earned everything I have. If you look at those various groups we've talked about, secular humanists work very hard to educate themselves, to read the right articles and magazines, to get the right education, to keep themselves from being ignorant. They want to not fall into the trap. They want to be aware or, dare I say it, woke. Mormons work hard to live according to the teachings of the Mormon church. Corporate CEOs work tirelessly to achieve the salvation of success and respect. Everyone is seeking salvation from somewhere, and every salvation that is not the gospel can ultimately be boiled down to some form of works. If you work hard, and if you succeed, then you are saved, and if you don't work hard and don't live up to the standard, then you are rejected as a failure. But the fact of the matter is, is that every salvation earned by works will either not satisfy or not be achieved. History has proven that education does not prevent evil or correct injustice. If you look at Nazi Germany, they truly were one of the most educated peoples of the day. The Wannsee Conference, which was held in 1942, where the final solution to eliminate the Jews came about in Nazi Germany, there were 15 members in attendance. Eight of them had PhDs. They were the highest level educated people, and they crafted perhaps the most evil plan in human history. Good works do not transform the human heart, and financial and business success leads to depression and isolation as often as it does satisfaction. The gospel offers us hope from the hell that is trying to earn your way to salvation through whatever God that you're serving, be it success or uh, good works or something else. 
The gospel offers rest from all of that. That hope and that rest is what makes the gospel undoubtedly the most beautiful and enticing part of the Christian message. Because at the moment when we realize that our position is hopeless, that we cannot earn salvation on our own merits, that's the very moment that we realize that salvation was never our cross to bear. The gospel brings deep and abiding rest to our souls. The constant grind to prove yourself, the constant search for a happiness that doesn't fade, the fear of never being good enough, all of this can be laid down at the feet of the risen Jesus. Because the gospel is true, your life is infinitely valuable. Not because of anything that you've done or earned or any success or skills you have, but because the Savior of the universe, the the creator of the universe, God himself, thought that you were worth dying for. Not the best version of you, not the successful version of you that you project to everyone else, but the version of you that you don't want other people to know exists. The version of you that doesn't feel like you have it all together. That's the version that Christ died for. And that's why the gospel is so unique and special. We hope that this week's lesson has been helpful. Just want to give you a little bit of a heads up on where we're headed. The gospel is the main point of the Bible, but it's not the only point of the Bible. And there's a lot of content and context that we need to place that gospel story within. And that's what we're going to be doing over the next six lessons. So the next lesson is going to drop next Wednesday. It's going to be why creation. We're going to look at the beginning of the story, Genesis chapter one and two and John chapter one, what it has to say about the nature of and character of God and how this whole story began. Really glad that you're with us today. Hope that you continue exploring Christianity with us. Uh, Like I said, drop a review, leave a comment. Uh, We'd love to hear your questions. Thank you guys. You guys have a wonderful week and I hope that if you are in the class, you enjoy your discussion on Sunday.